an opulent private dining room, red velvet, ornate high-back dining chairs, massive baroque-style white marble-topped dining table, crystal chandeliers, a room fit for Russian oligarchs. A bottle of crystal champagne sat open in a sweaty ice bucket in the middle of the gigantic table, with a generous spread of beluga caviar, blini, egg, lemon wedges. A faint, folksy piece of music played faintly in the background. Jing picked up a traditional crystal champagne coupe. A little over the top, don't you think? This is not the sweet, ever-pleasing Jing we knew. Her voice is deeper and manner straightforward. Opposite her sat Uncle Qian, the owner of Dango Restaurant, resplendent as always in a fancy dark navy blue suit. He scooped up the crystal and expertly filled their glasses. It's tradition. Jing took a sip of the champagne, nodded her head in appreciation. Crystal 2008, the supposed hundred-pointer champagne, sixty percent Pinot Noir, forty percent Chardonnay. Not bad. I'm glad you approve, Uncle Chen said with a wry smile. Are we celebrating? The older man refused Jing's glass. Santa is very happy. Another sip of crystal. You had the head of counterintelligence in record time. Jing shrugged nonchalantly. Oh, your intel about his favorite wine helped. Uncle Chen shrugged nonchalantly. Here, have some more caviar. Jing scooped a spoonful of caviar onto a blini, popped it into her mouth and washed it down with a mouthful of crystal. Uncle Chen was assessing Jing's mood. You sure there will be no problems with Rio? Hi, my name is Cheek, a film and TV writer, director and wine enthusiast with a diploma in wines and spirits and a certified sommelier qualification. Wine is arguably the only drink on this planet that can inspire love, hate, snobbery, insecurity, fear, wonder in just one sip. Not surprising then that wine can be mysteriously intimidating for those who are curious to know more about it. Combining my love of storytelling and wines, I am on a mission to make wines easier to understand and appreciate, one tongue-in-cheek story at a time. And what better genre to start this mission than a spy mystery? A parody of a spy mystery to be exact. And on that note, please remember that besides the wine information in this podcast, names, location, and anything that sounds remotely real are purely a work of fiction. Like wines, the stories should not be taken too seriously. I hope you enjoy the story and in the process, also find out a bit more about wines. Don't forget to follow the podcast. Ryo was worried. Jing had not responded to his calls and messages for one week. The last time he saw her was at the fancy restaurant dinner. Yes, a proper fancy restaurant dinner. Ryo had won the third prize in the embassy's year-end party's lucky draw, dinner for two at a three-Michelin-star restaurant. Jing had offered to pay for an expensive bottle of champagne as he got dinner, so to speak, which was the best scenario for catchy, stingy Ryo. He had thought that things were falling into place very nicely with him and Jing. In Japan, if the man or woman you were dating suddenly stopped responding to your calls and messages, 
it can only mean one thing. It was over. They were sending you the message in a polite, non-confrontational manner. Ryo knew this practice well, and he knew that it was definitely over by the second week of being ghosted by Jing. He was devastated. He didn't even get to say goodbye or to ask what he did or did not do wrong. It was a cold ending to his heartwarming dream. Wang Jing had not always been so heartless. She was a sensitive child. At just three years of age, she was thrusted into a small rural town in northern Hokkaido, Japan, where her busy parents had sent her to live with her maternal grandparents, who, by the way, did not look a single bit like her mother, Yang Jing had thought. It was scary and lonely in this new world. Her distant parents would only see her once a year and only to check on how she was progressing in school. School was tough for the new kid. She stood out. The local kids were confused. They had heard that she was from China and they had trouble pronouncing her name. But she did not look like the Chinese girls they knew. Wang Jing had perfect rose-tinted skin, brown hair, hazel-colored eyes, and was taller than the other kids in her class. They resorted to calling her the Hafu girl, the Japanese equivalent of the English word half, often used to refer to someone of mixed parentage in Japan. Wang Jing was annoyed. To her, she was all Chinese and resented the label and the constant teasing. Watanabe-sensei, Wang Jing's somewhat misguided but well-meaning teacher, had sat her down one day after school. Wang Jing, from tomorrow your name will be Jing. Why? Because it is easier for the other kids to call you. Why? And they won't make fun of you anymore. Wang Jing thought about this for a long second her emotions indiscernible. Finally, Can I call you Nabe-sensei? Eh? Nani? Why? Because it is easier for me. You want to call me Hot Pot sensei Watanabe-sensei was losing it a little with this precocious kid. He was just trying to help her after all. My favorite is Crab Hot Pot. Kaninabe. Watanabe-sensei totally lost it at this point. No! You cannot call me Nabe or Kaninabe-sensei! It is Watanabe-sensei! Wang Jing sat looking at him expressionless. Her teacher calmed down after a second. Okay, done. I will announce it tomorrow in class. He paused and looked at Jing. Trust me, it's better for you. Cold stare from Jing. The next morning at school, Watanabe-sensei made the announcement. Okay, class. I have something important to say. From today... Our classmates Wang Jing's name will be changed to Jing. Please call her Jing. Is that understood? This was unexpected. The class was silent, unsure of how to respond. They looked at each other. They looked at Jing. Suddenly, she stood up and spoke clearly and loudly. Hi, wakarimashita, Kaninabe-sensei. The class erupted into loud laughter. This was fun. Our teacher had become a crap hot pot. They started echoing Jing. Hi, Kani Nabe-sensei. Nabe-sensei. Nabe-sensei was furious. His face turned a crimson cooked crab red. Yamete! Yamete kudasai! Stop it! Stop it, class! Be quiet! My name is Watanabe-sensei! He screamed, but it was too late. The kids were uncontrollable. They were shouting and laughing deliriously. Jing slowly sat down and gave Nabe-sensei a small, satisfied smile. 
You could say that Nabe Sensei's misguided plan for Jing worked out fine. The kids half loved and half feared her. From that day on, no one in school gave her a hard time. Not even her teacher, as she aced all exams and in particular topped in Japanese language, literature, and history. Her legend grew when, at just eight years of age, Jing met the Japanese Prime Minister in Tokyo, who presented her with the top prize for the National Essay Writing Competition. She was the youngest ever winner, and the first foreigner to do so. After the meeting with the PM, she was essentially untouchable in school. Even the other teachers and school staff started using Nabe Sensei when talking to the hapless teacher. Thankfully for him, Jing left Japan for boarding school in London on her ninth birthday. Jing was getting used to being the perpetual new kid in school. She had built up an armor of smarts, charm, and beauty as a defensive shield. Outwardly, nothing seemed to face her as she excelled not only academically but also in the arts and sports. She grew into a smart, elegant, gorgeous young lady and was well liked by both students and teachers. She did have one tiny flaw, though, if it could even be considered a flaw. Jing somehow had trouble with some English words. It was not a learning disability as it only happened to her with specific words. She would spell and pronounce them wrongly and would not even realize it. For example, permission would become persimmon. Emergency was read as e-germancy or ambassador would be spelled ambassador. Her teachers had assumed that it was a fault of the autocorrect function of the computer and waved it off. Her close friends found it lovely that the seemingly perfect student did have a tiny flaw after all, and they love her more for that. Jing finished sixth form in London and went back to Shanghai to study politics, philosophy, and economics at one of the top universities in China. She breezed through it, graduating top in the country in PPE, and was set to excel in the postgraduate studies. Her parents came for a graduation ceremony and congratulated her on how well she had done. They also proudly introduced her to their work friends. But even with all the successes over the years, Jing could not seem to shake off the Hafu foreigner label that she had gotten as a child in Hokkaido. Everywhere she went, even back in Shanghai, she still felt like a foreigner. She would uncharacteristically lose it every time someone complimented her on how she resembled Eileen Gu, the gorgeous Chinese-American Olympic ski champion. Ken was thinking how much Jing looked like Eileen Gu while he stared googly eye at her when they were having dinner at a fancy restaurant one night. Good thing he didn't verbalize his thoughts as he marveled at how he, wine otaku, basement-dwelling Ken, could be dating this amazing woman. He had originally engineered a plan to have Ryo move back to Tokyo so that he could get more access to Jing, but was surprised when Ryo himself submitted a request to leave Singapore. Of course, it was approved speedily by the ambassador, anything for his golf buddy's son. Ryo had left in such a hurry that he did not even bother saying his farewells to anyone at the embassy. These rude, rich, entitled kids. All the better for me, Ken had thought. Ken made his move a month after Ryo left. He had tailed Jing around for a while and had accidentally bumped into her at a wine event. They chatted and shared wines and ended up going for a long wine-filled dinner at the Dango restaurant. The kindly Uncle Chien joined them at the end of the night with a bottle of champagne from the cult winemaker Jacques Salos. Such exquisite tastes these Shanghainese have, Ken had enthused to himself. 
It started as a weekly dinner and quickly became almost daily meetups. Kenneth never smiled so much in his life. Staff at the embassy also noticed a transformation in the spy hunter. He cleaned up, he finally got a haircut, changed his clothes and even whitened his wine-stained teeth. He actually looked happy. Jing was his dream come true. He was so in love that he decided to show her the one thing that no one else knew about his life. His secret wine cave. Jing, I'm going to reveal a secret to you tonight. The new Ken suddenly proclaimed at dinner. Eh, what? He laughed. Yes, the spy hunter actually laughed. Like a proper laugh. Yes, it's one of the best kept secrets in Singapore. Ooh, okay, I'm excited. After dinner, Jing found herself in the dank, dark basement of the Japanese embassy in Singapore. Kenneth smuggled her into his secret world without having to pass through the usual entrances and checks. Here is, after all, the head of counterintelligence at the embassy and knew all the secret routes. What is this place, Ken? Shh, just follow me. Are you sure this is okay? What if the ambassador found out? Ken smiled and thought, She's so cute, always making mistakes with these English words. He won't. Nobody would. You can walk in here on your own by the same route and nobody would know. He proclaimed self-satisfactorily. Jing smiled. Suddenly, in the dim light and falling drops of moisture, rows upon rows of bottles of wines appeared in front of Jing. It was like being in the cellars of a big burgundy winemaker. Oh, wow! This is my secret wine cave, protected by humidity and cold air, just like those limestone caves in Loire, France. Jing was honestly impressed. This awful person actually had amazing wines hidden in the most unlikeliest of places. It did feel like a wine cave in France. Ken ceremoniously popped open a bottle of vintage 2002 Dom Perignon Rosé Champagne and fished out of nowhere two beautiful Zalto wine glasses. Tonight, we celebrate. Everybody is celebrating. Jing almost rolled her eyes. What are we celebrating? Us. A beautiful rosé champagne for a gorgeous Jing. Jing gave Ken a shy smile and held up her glass. 2002. Stunning vintage. Everything was perfect in champagne. Yes, this rosé is arguably the best the house has ever made. Some wine drinkers like to put down Dom Perignon because it's not boutique or grower champagne. But you cannot deny the pleasure you get when you taste it. It's intense, rich, opulent, creamy, with aromas of rose petals and ripe stone fruits. It's huge with a long finish. As Ken waxed lyrical about the legendary rosé, Jing carefully surveyed the wine cave and the various underground routes and committed every nook and corner to her memory. For months, Ken would sneak Jing into a secret lair where they would drink merrily and regale in conversations, debates, discussions about philosophy, wines and life. Jing engaged, equal and exceeded Ken's mental, and he would dare think by then physically, in all that they did. This was his dream unfolding before his very eyes. For Jing, this was more than what they had planned for. 
access to the heart of the Japanese embassy in Singapore, listening devices securely placed in strategic spot where the most intimate conversations and secrets of the ambassadors and his advisors were fed directly to the center. Uncle Chen had better deliver on his promise. The opulent red room was beginning to stifle Jing. Despite the crystal, caviar, and Uncle Chien's soothing English-accented voice, she was getting restless. To the untrained eye, she was a reservoir of calm, but the older man knew her well. She was shifting ever so slightly in her seat. The precocious child in Jing could not be contained, and Uncle Chien knew this. But he was powerless to do anything about it. He was caught between the wishes of his top few operative and his boss's demands back at the center. They wanted to keep Jing in Singapore. Now who wouldn't? She had gotten amazing results. Fast. That's how she had always been. He knew how good she was the moment he started managing her, when she was just a shy three-year-old in Japan. So can I finally leave this tropical paradise filled with crypto creeps and lululemon ladies? The center is very happy. But not yet. Jing exploded. What? You promised! Be patient. I have been patient for five years. She had a point. I will contact center myself. Please don't do that. I don't need your persimmon. You mean permission? That's what I said. No, you said persimmon. Munye piavachi! I don't care what you think I said. You promised me, Misha! Hold on, was that Russian? Now, now, you know we are not supposed to use our real names, Jing. My name is Nadia! If looks could kill. You tell Santa I want to leave, or I will call them myself, Misha 